<laughs> there are some great pictures and great memories. This is our family photo album and you know as I look back over a lot of these pictures it just brings back so many good memories of things that have happened in the past and it's a lot of fun to look at this book. And you probably have a lot of great memories of the past too, but I also know that for some, like myself, there are some things in the past that, that seem to haunt us. You know, we've been studying through the book of Philippians and letting Paul teach us about how to have lives that are full of joy. And today, we're going to discover that one of the safeguards that Paul says to have in our lives, to keep joy in our lives, is to forget the past. And it's interesting, he talks about forgetting the past, not just in terms of forgetting the bad things that have happened in the past, but also he would warn us to forget some of the good things that have happened in the past. Well, we'll explore what he has to mean about that. Right now, I'm going to continue to enjoy some of these great pictures of our family, some pretty good looking boys in here. Not that I'm prejudiced or anything. Well, we're going to uh, jump in and talk about that uh, joy stuff in a minute. Before I do that, a couple things I wanted to say as we get started. First, I was thinking last night, um, I got the opportunity last night to hang out with a bunch of our life group leaders, and it was just a cool reminder to me of uh, there's just some, so many wonderful people here at Crosspoint, and so many wonderful people who volunteer around here in a lot of different ways. And I just want to say to those people, thank you. It's an honor to serve with you. And to our life group leaders, so valuable to what we do around here, and I appreciate and value them uh, so much and really enjoyed uh, hanging out with them last night. Second thing then, I just uh, thought I'd make a couple of comments uh, uh, in terms of the results of uh, the election this week. As I know that uh, for a lot of us, it impacts us in different ways, and we have different views and perspectives on that whole thing. And uh, I just thought I'd share for just a second on uh, a couple of ideas biblically in terms of how we as Christians ought to respond to the results of the election. Uh, the first thing is the Bible is really clear that no matter who would have been elected or who has been elected, that our responsibility as Christ followers is to pray for them. Whether we voted for them or not, whether we are comfortable with where we think things may go or not, um, that is irrelevant in terms of our responsibility as Christ followers to pray for them. And so I want to encourage you to join me uh, in praying for our new president uh, as he goes through this time of transition right now into office and then as he begins to lead our country. Uh, we need to pray for him, uh, whether you voted for him or not. Uh, secondly, I would say to you that our hope is not in who leads our country. Uh, the Bible's really clear that salvation is not found in princes or leaders. It says that in Psalms. And uh, Sometimes we can get wrapped up in thinking that the solutions to all of our problems as a country and some of our, the solutions to our problems are found in who leads the country or who doesn't lead the country. And the reality is that's not true. If we hope to see culture changed, if we hope to see our society changed, it has nothing to do with who lives in the White House. It has everything to do with people finding and discovering Jesus Christ in their lives. Uh, he is the hope of the world and the local church is the hope of the world. And so if we want our culture to be changed, then it starts with us changing the culture around us right where we live. And so I just wanted to encourage you in those two things, whether you're pleased or not with the results of the election. Um, we all have different views about that, but as Christ followers, we need to pray for that person, and we need to remember that our hope is found in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Well, let's jump into this series. Uh, we're in the third week of our series, uh, Joy for Dummies. And uh, we've been kind of modeling this after those uh, series of books for dummies where they take some rather 
complicated things and try to make them seem as simple as possible. And we're trying to take something that can seem difficult and hopefully make it very understandable. And we're working our way through the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament of your Bible and written by uh, Paul, an early leader in the church. And today we're going to explore chapter three. And so, in fact, I hope you brought your Bibles as always and encourage you to go ahead and open them up and find Philippians chapter three. And we're going to get there in a few minutes. Uh, In this chapter... Paul today is going to share with us some safeguards that we can put in place in our lives to make sure that we protect joy. But let's review really quickly in case you've missed a couple of the last weeks that we were talking about this. In the first week of this series, we talked about the fact that it is possible for us to have joy even in the midst of really difficult circumstances. Because remember, Paul, the one who's writing this letter, was actually in prison during the time that he writes this. He'd been there for two years. In fact, it's interesting, you know, he had all his life wanted to try to get to Rome because he thought he could, if he could share the story of Jesus there, it would have a big impact, and God kept sending him other places. Little did Paul know, he'd ultimately end up going to Rome as a prisoner, and there he's sharing the story of Jesus, and he shows us clearly, even in the midst of joy, even in the midst of difficult times, we can have joy. Then last week, we talked about the fact that joy is found in serving others. Remember, we had the ladder up here, and we talked about the fact that a lot of us, we think life is all about climbing the ladder, staying one step above someone else. And in reality, Jesus modeled and teaches that joy is found when we actually come down the ladder and we put our focus on other people and serving them. And then, as I said today, we're going to see that in chapter three, Paul gives us some safeguards that if we'll put these in place in our lives, helps us to continue to live a joy-filled life. When my uh, boys were really young, many years ago, um, we often took them to the Shrine of the Golden Arches. And uh, they often would ask us to purchase a meal that included a plastic toy. Because they had begun to believe, maybe they already caught on to the advertising for McDonald's, they believed that they had this void in their soul that was shaped like a McDonald's Happy Meal. Yeah, you can identify with this, can't you? Now, my wife, who is uh, very, uh, let's say it this way, handles our money really well. And especially in those early years of our marriage, when things were really tight, she had figured out that by purchasing the all-American meal at McDonald's, we could get a lot more food and save money. And so that's what we purchased. I don't know if they still sell that today or not. But um, Sometimes the boys would protest, you know, we, we don't want that, we want a happy meal, we, we want that little toy, because that's going to give us happiness. Now, you know what, we would buy them sometimes a happy meal, but you know what, the happy in the happy meal usually went away fairly quickly, and the next time we came back, they needed another dose of happy for them to think that they really were happy. Now, we can laugh about that a little bit, but the truth is, as we grow older, we find other things that we think will fix the happiness void in our lives. And the reality is, they may give us temporary doses of happiness, but they do not produce joy. And Paul's going to help us see today, there are some things that we can do in our lives, some safeguards that we can put in place that bring not just temporary doses of happiness, but bring us real joy that is abiding and constant in our lives. Well, look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Look, listen to how Paul begins this chapter. He says, Finally, my brothers, now not finally as in I'm about to end the letter, but finally as in 
I've been telling you a lot of things. Let me sort of wrap some of those up. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And there's that phrase again, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, rejoice means to be full of joy. And Paul indicates the way to be full of joy, or the source of that, is found in the Lord. Then he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things again to you, or to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, Paul really is saying, there are some things that I keep repeating to you. I think he's probably repeated them to them in, in other letters, as well as there are probably things that he has said to them when he has seen them in person. And Paul says, I can't keep going over these same things again and again so that you'll get it, and so that they will be a safeguard in your life. And so here's the first safeguard I want us to see today, is that Paul says we need to resist um, religiosity. We need to resist religiosity. Here's here's what I think he says, beginning in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs. Some pretty interesting language he uses. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, who's he talking about and who's he calling a dog? Um, he's talking about Jewish religious leaders. And when he talks about dogs here, the reference is not to uh, the friendly four-legged creature that sleeps at the end of your bed. These are, the reference here is to wild dogs who roamed the streets at that time. Uh, they were dirty and nasty and mean, and they weren't the kind of dog that you played catch with. And these were mean dogs. And he is calling the religious Jewish leaders of his time dogs. He's saying these guys, he's talking about, sometimes they were called the Judaizers, and they were a group of religious leaders who sort of followed Paul around. Paul would go to a community, he would teach people about having faith in Jesus Christ and that they could have a relationship with Jesus just by, through faith. And then these guys would kind of come behind him and say, well, that's true, but there's all these other things you need to do if you really want to be a Christ follower. There's all these rules, there's all these rituals that you need to follow if you're going to really follow Jesus. And they sort of contradicted what Paul was teaching. They were teaching about legalism. And Paul says, we could define legalism as substituting rules for relationship. It's thinking that if I want to be right with God, then I have to follow a whole bunch of rules instead of thinking that to be right with God, I simply can have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says as he goes on in verse 4. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. This circumcision that he's talking about, that actually refers back to the mutilators of the flesh because part of what these Jewish leaders taught was that to really follow Jesus, no matter what your ethnicity is, you need to be circumcised. Paul says, no, that's not true. He says the real circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. It's a a cutting away of the bad things out of your heart and replacing it with a new heart, and that comes through a relationship with Jesus. And he says this, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he goes on to list all these things that he's done. Basically, he's going to say, you know what? I've followed all the rules. But that didn't give me a real relationship. Real relationship came when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. But here's his list of things he's done. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
did it on exactly the right time he was supposed to. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm from exactly the right tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was considered the most spiritual of the spiritual people. I mean, it was as high up as you could go spiritually. They were considered the people who followed all the rules and did everything they were supposed to do. Theirs was supposed to be the best relationship with God. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul says, I've done it all. In fact, I even defended our way of thinking. I used to persecute people who said you could just have faith in Jesus and that would give you a relationship. Paul says, I've done it all. Then look at what he says in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, forget all that stuff. That stuff means nothing. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now the word rubbish there is actually the, the kind of uh, kind translation, the sort of cleaned up translation of that word. That word that it's translated from is actually the Greek word skubala, and it actually means a pile of dung. And that's how little Paul values all of this other stuff. So by the way, you know, if you're tempted, which I hope you're not, to cuss, I've just taught you a new cuss word in <laughs> Greek there, okay? Skubala. No, don't use that. Especially if you're related to me. Do not use that, okay? He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And then he says this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now here is the source of joy. And you need to make sure you hear this, okay? Because this is sort of an important, this is not sort of, it is a vital principle in terms of everything we're saying about having joy. The source of joy in our lives is a relationship with Jesus. If you want to have a joy-filled life like Paul is describing here, it happens through a relationship with Jesus. In fact, I am convinced that you cannot have real joy in your life minus having a relationship with Jesus. Now, you might find temporary doses of happiness in life. You will find things that make you feel happy. But this kind of joy that Paul is describing happens only, I am convinced, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am not a uh, cookie baker myself. How, how many of you ever bake cookies? Yeah, quite a few of you. Now, if you're like me, if I was going to bake cookies, I would have to follow a recipe. In fact, I brought along my wife's, uh, you know, Cooking with Mickey Around the World cookbook today. And if I were going to bake chocolate chip cookies this afternoon, I would have to follow the recipe. Now, here, here's some of how it goes. You know, it gives all the ingredients, and then it says, uh, step one, cream together the sugar, shortening salt, baking powder, vanilla, and egg until light and fluffy, whatever that means. Step two, fold in cake flour. Uh, step three, add chocolate chips, stir just to mix evenly. Step next, whatever it was, five. Uh, on plastic wrap, shape into two-inch diameter rolls. 
chill thoroughly, to bake, cut in half-inch slices, bake at 350 for 10 minutes. Now, if I were to follow those steps, if I were to follow very carefully each of those bullet points, I could, at the end of the day, produce cookies, and there's a slight chance they might even taste good if I follow the recipe. A lot of people have treated following Jesus like it is a recipe. Like if I put all of the right steps in the right order, if I cover the formula, if I make sure I follow the recipe, if I do all of the laws, if I follow all of the rules, then I might be a follower of Jesus. But you know what? Following Jesus is less is not so much following a recipe as it is like falling in love it's about a relationship it's not about making sure i get all of the bullet points in order it's about having a relationship now i'm not talking about uh, falling in love like some kind of you know junior high mushy crush on a person i'm talking about like in any relationship getting to know jesus getting to know his character, getting to know that he exists, coming to understand that he is an authority that is worth submitting to, coming to and growing to understand that he has the power to save me. It's about a relationship and it's about getting to know Jesus. What Paul warns of here is that we can make it all about following the rules And if it's simply about following the rules or following the recipe or making sure that I've got it all in the right order, I think Paul indicates that's going to rob us of joy. But when I understand that it is about a relationship, then that allows me to have joy in following Jesus. You know what? The whole Bible is a story about relationships. It begins with the the relationship between God and Adam. And then it tells about the relational breakup that happens because Adam makes the choice to sin, Adam and Eve do. And so that relationship is broken. And then the the rest of the Old Testament is about the story of God moving towards trying to redeem or restore our relationship with him. And then along comes Jesus, and Jesus' whole life is focused on leading people back to a relationship with God to the point that he dies on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins so that our relationship with God could be restored. And then the Bible continues to tell us the story about how we can improve that relationship with God, how we can know God more and know him more deeply. It's all about relationship. But if we allow ourselves and we allow other people to make it all about following the rules, Paul says that robs us of the joy that God wants us to have in this relationship. It's about a relationship. Now, listen, this we're not talking about a just do whatever I want kind of relationship we're talking about the fact that there ought to be real life change in me this relationship with god is not just about oh i'll do these outward actions it is about an inward relationship but this inward relationship produces change in our lives in fact the bible says among many other things that ought to change as a result of this relationship one of the things that will happen to us is we will produce the fruit of the spirit Listen to what Paul says in another letter that he writes in the Bible. In Galatians chapter 5, he says this about the the fruit of the Spirit that will grow in our lives as a result of this relationship. He says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, and the only way the Holy Spirit can control our lives is through our relationship with Jesus. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, 
There's that word we're talking about. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the kinds of things, among others, that will be produced in our lives as a result of having this relationship with Jesus. And then he ends up by saying, here, there is no conflict with the law. When we allow these things to be produced in our lives through this relationship, it's not about trying to keep rules. It's not about following the recipe. It's about having a relationship. There's a second safeguard then that Paul talks about, beginning in verse 12. Look at what he says here. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I I haven't arrived yet, Paul says. My life is not everything that God intends it to be. I mean, maybe you've arrived. Maybe you're there. (laughs) Maybe your life is all that God wants it to be. Maybe everything in your life is, is exactly the way God would tell us to live. But not if you're like me. I would say like with Paul, I'm not there yet. I haven't taken hold of it yet. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul says the next thing, next safeguard that we ought to put in our lives and make sure we have a joy-filled life is that we need to put our back to the past. We need to refocus on the future. We need to forget what's in the past. Let me point out two or three things I think that he would suggest we put our back to in the past. One, we need to put our back to the past of things that we've done wrong. I am. I've been, since I've lived in Florida, I've had several automobile accidents. None of them have been my fault. And never did I have an accident before I moved down here. Um, If that tells you anything. Um, But two or three times now, I have been rear-ended. And so it's made me a little paranoid. And when I drive now, I keep a pretty close eye on what's happening in my rearview mirror. I get a little nervous if somebody gets too close to me. You know, when there's a lot of traffic and everybody stops quickly, you know, I tense up thinking, oh, I hope somebody hasn't hit me. I keep watching the rearview mirror. I wonder this morning, what is in the rearview mirror of your life that keeps robbing you of joy? I bet all of you can think of some things. Paul says, put your back to the past. And the first thing he would talk about, I think, is put your back to the past in terms of things that you have done wrong. Forget the mistakes that you have made in the past. Put your sin behind you. Now, when Paul says this, we we need to realize that if I have admitted to God my sin, if I have have owned up to the fact that I have made mistakes and I have claimed his forgiveness, then I can leave those sins at the cross. I don't have to keep going back and picking them up and, and dealing over and over with the guilt. I can put my back to those things. God has. The Bible says uh, in, in the Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, and that's pretty far, so far has God removed my transgressions or my sins from me. God says, you know what? I'm not going to keep bringing them up. They're in the past. Put your back to the past and leave them in the past and live in the joy of my forgiveness. I think Paul would also warn us to put in the past the wrongs that have been done to us. And probably all of us have some of those things as well, don't we? Now, the word forget here doesn't mean to remove them from our memory. 
I'm not sure that's humanly possible for us to remove them from our memory. But what it means here is to not allow those things, those wrongs that have hurt us, to continue to influence or affect us. In other words, I can't change the past, but I could change the meaning of the past. I think one of the greatest examples of that is the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph, when he was growing up, lived in a very dysfunctional home. In fact, his brothers, some brothers they were, they actually one day sort of kidnapped him, threw him in a hole in the ground. They were going to leave him there to die until they saw some slave traders go by, and they said, hey, let's sell him into slavery, which they did. And he was carried away to Egypt. Now, you know what? He had a choice to make at that point. Was he going to let the past affect him, or was he going to change the meaning of the past? And as life went along, God brought he and his brothers back together, and Joseph made the choice to change the meaning of the past. He forgave them. He was reunited with them, reunited with his father. Their relationships were restored. And if we want to have joy in our lives, Paul would teach us we have to make sure that we don't let the past rob us of that. And again, we can't erase the past, but we can change the meaning of the past in our lives and how it affects us. There's one other thing about the past that I think Paul would warn us about. He would say also at times we need to put our back to the good that's happened to us in the past. Remember all that whole list of things that Paul said, here's all the, here's all the good things I have done. Those things could have produced a lot of pride in Paul's life. He could have said, well, look what I've done. I don't need the power of God in my life. Look what I've accomplished all by myself. And you and I, if we spend too much time lingering on the good that's happened to us in the past, the same thing can happen in our lives. We can be filled with pride that says, look what I've accomplished. I don't need the power of God. I can do it myself. But the minute we quit trusting in the power of God to work in our lives in the present and the future, I think the joy will begin to evaporate. Because there's not joy in doing it ourselves. The joy comes when we let God do it through us. And Paul says, I keep focusing on what God is yet to do in my life. After our uh, football game Friday night, uh, the boys and I were driving home. We flipped on the radio, and I heard uh, Bill Kramer, who's the coach at Naples High School, being interviewed. And they had just had a big victory over Lely High School. And I think they're 8-1 and one now or 9-1, and one, something like that. And uh, the, the announcer, the sports guy, asked him something to the effect, well, you know, is this sort of the crowning moment of the season? Is this what it was all about for you getting to this point where you have such a great record and you're ranked? And, and immediately the coach shot back and said, no, our goal has never been this. Our goal has always been to win a state championship. Now think, if the goal had sim been simply that, oh, we want to have a good season, when they got to that point Friday night, they could have said, well, that's it. We're done. We accomplished our goal. But their goal was something bigger, and I think they have the potential to reach that bigger goal because from the very beginning, they've been focused on pressing on to something bigger. You and I can grow to the point where we're just content with life the way it is, and we may miss out on the fact that maybe there are something even greater that God wants to do in and through us, and as he does even that greater thing, there may be even more joy that is produced in our lives. What joy are we potentially missing out on if we're just satisfied with, well, I think that's all God wants to do? Now, I would say God still probably has much bigger plans for you if you would just let him continue to work in your life. Bill and Sylvia Witt 
around their honeymoon, first night of their honeymoon, they went to the hotel where they had a reservation and they had reserved the bridal suite. Well, they went up to the, got their key, went up to the bridal suite, opened the door, and it was the room they went into, didn't have a lot of furniture, a lot, a lot of stuff in it. They were a little disappointed, thought, well, there's a TV and there's a couch, maybe it's a sofa bed and table, and, but where's the bed? They saw a door to the closet, they thought, but they thought, well, where, where are we supposed to sleep? Well, they, they decided, well, we'll pull the sofa bed out. It was late. They pulled that sofa bed out, and you know what it's like to sleep on a sofa bed, and they woke up the next morning tired and, and sore from trying to sleep on that, and so Bill decided, I'm going to go down to the front desk and check into this, and so he goes down there and says to the guy, you know, hey, we reserved the bridal suite. We're really disappointed. The, the furnishings in it are terrible. We didn't sleep well. The guy said, did you open the door, the door to the closet? No, that's not a door to the closet. Did you open the door? No. So he, he goes back up to the room, opens the door, which leads into a beautiful bedroom. It's beautifully decorated, a wonderful bed. There are chocolates there that have been waiting for them as a gift on their arrival. But they never opened the door, and they missed out on what lie just beyond that door. How many times in life are we robbed of incredible things that God wants to do in our lives because we simply are satisfied with where we are? And we miss out on some incredible joy that God wants to produce that maybe is just beyond the next door that God wants us to walk through. Listen to how Paul wraps this whole section up in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's where joy is found. Joy is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is found when we keep pressing on, not allowing the past to drain the joy from our lives, but staying focused on what God is yet to do in and through us. What lies just beyond the door? I don't know. But I know that if God is involved, it will be great. And it will produce joy in my life as I experience it with him. Would you pray with me?